What are you giving up for Lent this year? Usually I've heard that question a few times by now. I've heard it less this year than average. There are some standard answers, of course. Chocolate, alcohol, Facebook. Sometimes there are some less usual answers that I've heard over the years. Putting on makeup, buying new clothes. I had one friend who, uh, for Lent one year, gave up looking in the mirror. I did a quick Google search as part of my uh, sermon preparation this week and ran across a post. What to give up for Lent 2022? Get the 50 best Lent ideas. Just sign up for this email list. (laughs) I did not sign up for the email list. But one of the free suggestions was, this year I'm giving up giving things up. That sounds kind of appealing to me this year, if I'm honest. It feels like we've had at least two years of Lent by now. About two years ago, this Sunday was the first Sunday that we had to pivot for COVID. About one year ago were the shootings in Atlanta that left eight people dead, six of them Asian of Asian descent. And just in the past year, anti-Asian hate crimes have increased 339%. Lord have mercy. We're going on four months of this investigation and still waiting. We might feel like literally everything is hard. So why would we add one more hard thing? When someone is malnourished, you don't tell them to give up their daily bread. Now, maybe you're not in that place today. And if so, we say with you, thanks be to God. But I imagine more than one of us might wonder, how can I think about repentance and self-denial when I am just barely holding it together? Well, our passages today remind us of something very important for us every year in Lent, but I think especially this year in Lent, which is that Jesus' call to us is not to scarcity, but to abundance. That Lent, too, is not fundamentally about restriction, making ourselves smaller, but about recalibration, recalibrating our lives and our hearts so that we and others can receive the full, true abundance of the Lord. That's my theme today. I'm going to do the lectionary thing and draw from each of our passages because I think they all speak to it. Today is a call, a call to come, come to Jesus and find abundance. Abundant provision, abundant pardon, and abundant presence. Hear the call, come. God is faithful, and you will experience the Lord's abundant provision. How do our scriptures speak to this, the Lord's abundant provision? First in Isaiah, this imagery of, hey, you're hungry, you're thirsty, there's a feast over here, and you don't have to pay for it. Why spend your money on all that junk when you have the good stuff right here for free? Come, eat, buy it for free, listen up. Psalm 63, where the psalmist talks about this thirst, like someone stranded in a desert, and then the Lord satisfies my soul as with marrow and fatness the richest part of the meats. These passages raise a question for us. Are you actually hungry and thirsty? And for what? If we fill up on snacks, we won't be hungry for the good stuff. How many times have I set an amazing dinner in front of my kids at night and they complain about it because they had too much snack too late in the day, right? Nothing tastes as good as the meal we eat when we are really, truly hungry. 
Lent, as a time of self-denial, it asks this question too about what we're hungry for, what we're thirsty for. It's a time to get in touch with our deeper hungers, to realize all the ways we numb and cover up the things that we crave instead of receiving from the Lord the better things. When I'm lonely, what do I turn to? When I'm sad, when I'm angry, what does the, time, the way I spend my time reveal about it what I really want? How about my money? What does that reveal about my desires? Where are the idols in my life, the things I want that carry me away from the Lord rather than toward Jesus? This passage in Corinthians is so interesting to me. Israel goes astray in the wilderness, not because they were particularly bad, but because of how they handled their desires under stress. They were willing to do whatever it took to ease the discomfort of their fears, their hunger, their thirst, their anger, their uncertainty. Those were real things. But they doubted the Lord's abundant provision for them, even after they saw it time after time after time. I wonder about me and about us, too, in this time of stress. We are in a time of stress. And we, too, face the temptations raised by uncertainty, fear, anger, doubt. I think today, more than ever, we, me chief of all, need to hear once again of the Lord's abundant provision. To remember what he's done. Look at this building. This is the Lord's abundance, visually. To remember what he's done, to be honest about what we are feeling and wanting and how we're reacting right now, and to take responsibility for our own particular temptations in the midst of it. Lent is a time when we hear Jesus say, come, turn to me, feast on real stuff. There's abundance here and you shall not want. Now we know that doesn't mean that we'll get our every desire. Some of our earthly desires will go unmet, but God will provide what we need and more. When we trust in God's abundance, we are free to give. God's abundance is both material and spiritual. We've been talking about it in spiritual terms, but this passage from Isaiah is really, it's an imagery of Israel going back to the land, that land flowing with milk and honey, where the land will provide things for them rather than them having to buy it in Babylon at high prices. Does that sound familiar? It's material and spiritual, and it's for us and for others. Because when people are truly physically hungry, we don't go to them and say, it'll be fine. Just pray, go and be well. James talks about that, right? No. When people are physically hungry, we look at our abundance, what we have, and we share it. That's one of the reasons that almsgiving, generosity, is a practice in Lent. It challenges us in our desire to keep for ourselves, which is so easy when we're stressed. And it proclaims the abundance of the Lord's provision. It says, I can give because the Lord will take care of me. And the Lord's going to take care of you, and I'm going to be part of that provision in your life. So giving is an act of gratitude and an act of faith that the Lord will continue to provide for us. I'm praying this year that I will get a lot of requests for the discretionary funds at church that we can give, give out of those. So pray that with me. And if you know of needs, bring them because this is part of how we proclaim the Lord's faithfulness to others. God is faithful. Come to Jesus and experience his abundant provision. Second, hear the call. Come. God is faithful and you will experience the Lord's abundant pardon. Again, Isaiah talks about this explicitly regarding the wicked. 
verses 7 and on. The wicked are those whose ways and thoughts are out of alignment with the thoughts and ways of the Lord. And Isaiah says, God will have mercy on those who turn to him. He will freely pardon, not just begrudgingly or stingily pardon. For those who repent, he freely pardons. Those who do an about face receive the abundant pardon of the Lord. In the context, maybe the wicked were those oppressing the poor or not remaining faithful to Yahweh while in exile. Well, Jesus expands the category of those who need abundant pardon to everyone. And there's this beautiful parable of the fig tree where the gardener is patient and will do everything in his power to help the tree produce fruit. I'm told that at least fig trees in the Middle East area didn't normally need fertilizer. You guys can correct me if that's, yeah, that's true. Perfect. Our arborists say I'm on the right track. Fertilizer wasn't a normal need or a normal way of taking care of a fig tree. This gardener was willing to do it, was willing to go above and beyond to see if he could help this tree produce fruit. God's mercy and pardon are abundant, but not forever, because that would be enablement, not grace. Sometimes we have consequences to pay. God's mercy and pardon are abundant. So what keeps us from repenting? One thing that can keep us from repenting is self-righteousness, which is Jesus' point at the beginning of this Luke passage. Sounds like the people who came to him said, look at those sinners and what the Lord did to them. And Jesus says, we got to reframe this a bit, everybody. Look at those sinners versus Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. Self-righteousness can keep us from repenting. Busyness and tiredness can keep us from repenting. Because repentance takes a little time. It takes prayer and self-examination and some effort, even with the help of the Spirit. Sometimes all the voices out there drown out God's voice saying, come, repent. And then our own selfish desires, this is again Corinthians, can keep us from repenting. We want things. God says, that's not good for you. Well, I'm going to ignore that and do it anyway, right? I, uh, Stephanie had the same image in her, in her um, sermon this morning, her children's moment, of taking a step. Well, I'm going to go this way. Taking another step. Oh, getting further and further off the path. It becomes harder and harder to find the way back home. But God's pardon is abundant, even for those who go way off the path to bring them home. When we trust that God's pardon is abundant, we are free to confess. Confession is that practice of humility that not they've done wrong. I've done wrong. And we have done wrong that we are caught up in the systems that rob people of their humanity and oppress the poor, that we have judged others often more harshly than we've judged ourselves, that as the Ash Wednesday service, I think, puts it, we have followed too much the desires of our own hearts, that we go astray even in our attempts at self-denial. We are free to confess. And when we trust that God's pardon is abundant, we are also free to leave space for others to confess when they're participating in wrong. There's a quote from Richard Wright, the author that I saw this week that really hit, hit me. It says, he says this, Of all things, men do not like to feel that they are guilty of wrong. And if you make them feel guilt, they will try desperately to justify it on any ground. And seeing no immediate solution that will set things right without too much cost, they will kill that which evoked in them the condemning sense of guilt. We don't like to feel guilty. 
Some of us might have grown up feeling like we had to be perfect or always right in order to be okay, in order to be loved. Some of us might have grown up feeling like we had to make it better if someone else felt like they were wrong. Well, if you've done wrong, or if someone else has done wrong, or is instead of sinning against themselves or others, the very best thing we can do is allow them to feel the guilt of what they've done and pray that they too will confess and turn to the Lord in his abundant pardon. Repentance can feel scary because it does mean some loss. It means there are some things we choose not to choose anymore. And it means we have to give up our <laughs> stubborn belief sometimes that we're always good and innocent. But the payoff of repentance is abundant life for us and for others. God is faithful. Come to Jesus and receive his abundant pardon. And third, hear the call. Come. God is faithful and you will experience the Lord's abundant presence. All of our passages speak to this. Isaiah says, come to me. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. It speaks of the Lord's everlasting covenant. That love that Wade talked about last week. God's undying commitment to be with his people. Psalm 63 talks about the Lord's presence with the psalmist even in the night watches. Luke 13, the gardener is intimately present in the vineyard, in the manure, tending the vines and the trees. And most crucially in 1 Corinthians, in the midst of test after test and difficult seasons like the one we're going through right now, the Lord gives us the strength to go through them without falling into sin because he is present with us. He will provide a way out. He is faithful. When we trust the Lord's abundant presence, we are free to rest. And we're free to seek to free others to rest as well. Cole Arthur Riley, author of a new book, and um, the person behind the social media feed, Black Liturgies, some of you might have heard it, may have heard of that. It's amazing. She talks about how rest brings freedom. She talks about her father and how his early years of living paycheck to paycheck and working two jobs to survive left him unable to rest even when his financial situation got better. He says once he started to believe that if he just worked harder, he could have a little more power over things, it was game over. That was his path to exhaustion. Cole reflects that our culture pushes us to keep working, keep producing, keep forcing others to produce too, no matter what even to the point where we do violence to our own bodies and those of others as we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. She writes, we're seldom impressed by simplicity unless it's the kind inflated with theatrics, which inevitably draws attention to itself. Capsule wardrobes, minimalism, van life, and still is, in a manner, doing. But we fall on our knees at the sight of a man working 60 hours a week for his law firm in the city, and we conflate these idols with God himself. We come, become obsessed with the language of how God might use us, never pausing to ask ourselves, what if God doesn't always want to use you? What if sometimes God just wants to be with you? Redeemer, what if sometimes God just wants to be with you? What if he wants to be with us right now? 
What if he is with us right now? When we rest, when we free others to be able to rest, which is part of what justice work, working against poverty, things like that, that's what it's about, to make it so other people can rest too. When we rest, we open ourselves up to experience the Lord's abundant presence, that very thing that can keep us from stumbling in our time of trial, that very thing that enables us to walk in holiness and bear fruit by the Spirit, the very thing that sets the captives free, that brings shalom, that weds justice and mercy in perfect harmony. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, even now. God is faithful. Come to Jesus and experience the Lord's abundant presence. So my brothers and sisters, quite simply today, hear the invitation of the Lord. Come. Lent is not a season of deprivation of shrinking ourselves to a size we think pleases the Lord. But of an honest look, of opening ourselves and others up to the abundance of the Lord, to abundant refreshment and renewal. Come to the table. Come to community. Come to rest. Come to sing and dance and enjoy and feast. For with the Lord, there is abundant provision, abundant pardon, abundant presence, and fullness of joy. Amen.